Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and very warm welcome to the Ideas Factory. We are almost at the end of the year 2022 and this would probably be our last episode this year uh, before we actually take a break for Christmas, for the New Year's, and we shall meet you in the next year. But as an year-ender, this year, this on this episode, we're trying to look at all that changed in the world geopolitically, strategically, and for India, and what, um, uh, how did really India's outreach towards the world or India's role in in the global geopolitics shape up? So we will look at some of the important events that took place around the year. There was economic, environmental, and geopolitical turmoil in 2022. Looking at the Russia-Ukraine crisis, the war is still on, uh, uh, which led to a lot of economic distress all over the world. Uh, Other than that, of course, the COVID Omicron virus spread uh, and health challenges that were present all over the world. China uh, grappling with COVID now, and uh, Queen Elizabeth's passing away. So all that has, in a way, changed the world, the outlook, and India assuming the G20 presidency. A very warm welcome to you, Harsh. I would like to begin with, um, you know, uh, what changed for India after assuming the G20 presidency, or rather uh, its outlook towards the world, or India actually evolving from a competitive marketplace to a leader of the G20 group and India's geopolitical influence that grew significantly in the year 2022. Uh, Thanks, Nagma. I think, you know, one of the most interesting uh, developments this year, of course, uh, has been uh, how the world is looking at India through a different lens. And this year became uh, one of the key years when when that uh, uh, sort of uh, came out into the open. Uh, we, we were looking at this shift towards India and India becoming a critical anchor in global politics. But I think with the G20 presidency, which India assumed in the last month of this year and will continue uh, over the next year, uh, there are now, uh, you know, there's a new responsibility on India today uh, to lead at a time when global uh, order is fractured beyond recognition. And I think what started uh, this year early on, the, the Ukraine war, in some ways uh, has uh, accelerated some of those trends that were already visible before 2022. But in, in but during the course of this year, we have seen those trends solidifying, uh, and uh, and you know the the great power competition reaching a phase which I think uh, allows India to play that role of a country uh, that can voice uh, the concerns of those that are not represented in this great power contestation, as well as uh, uh, bring all the stakeholders together in some ways, uh, in some ways uh, as part of a G20 leadership. Uh, and that I think is going to be a critical uh, development uh, over the over the next year, over the next few months, uh, because a lot of the eyes would be on India and, and how India assumes that leadership role. And of course, there is great expectation. They, you know, that many countries have voiced it openly, saying that they expect a lot from India this year. So I think there is also this sense of anticipation uh, that perhaps at a time when multilateral order is not working, when global institutions are not working, uh, then can G20 provide that alternative? I mean, it's a tall order, but certainly given what is happening in, in other platforms on other platforms, uh, G20 certainly allows 
uh, India to lead global agenda at a time when, as you pointed out, there are economic problems, there are geopolitical tensions, and there are bigger issues like climate change and the agenda, which, which are not being tackled as effectively by the extant multilateral order as we had hoped at one point in time. So I think all that brings India into the spotlight. And I think this is going to be that way a very, very interesting year for India, for Indian foreign policy, and for India's aspirations to play that larger role on global platforms. And India's foreign policy has clearly evolved and took an independent stand. If we look at Russia-Ukraine crisis, where there was a lot of pressure on India to take a stand against uh, Russia, against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But India kind of balanced between Russia and Ukraine while condemning the war, while saying that war is not an alternative, but also that uh, significant oil deal that happened with Russia. And India withstood the pressure from uh, many Western nations who actually, uh, they were, we saw that there were there were a barrage of sanctions by the Western nations against Russia for this uh, for this war that Russia waged against Ukraine. But India's foreign policy has evolved there. Certainly, if you recall in February uh, when the war started, uh, there was a sense of uh, doom and gloom about Indian foreign policy. You know that how will India manage? India will have to make certain choices. Uh, India will inevitably will have uh, will make uh, someone or the other annoyed or angry or displeased. Uh, and and I think the West initially um, uh, did. Uh, try to raise this point with India much more publicly, much more vocally. Uh, there was this um, uh, you know, explicit annoyance at India uh, trying to um, uh, you know, uh, uh, take an independent position on Russia, not towing the Western line. And, and I think if you look at what, is, what has happened over the course of the year, uh, that even as I think the Western media continued to target India on, on the Russia question, uh, that India is, is is not doing this or not doing that, or India is uh, you know is, is it continues to buy oil from from uh, Russia um, while Russia is invading uh, a sovereign state. I think we have seen how the Western uh, nations themselves, the Western governments. Their policy evolved. So I think that what is interesting about this year is that this has been year. Uh, this has been a year when uh, in, in India's relations with the West underwent a certain turbulence because of Ukraine. But at the same time, we saw. Uh, that the trajectory remained positive and upward uh, moving, and 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 India Europe relations, India India US relations uh, continued to be as strong as they have ever been. So I think that way it has been an interesting year for Indian foreign policy that India has tried to maintain that uh, that autonomous position on this issue of of Russia. India has not publicly condemned Russia, but India has also been trying to make a case, I think, to Russia as a friend that this is unsustainable, that the war needs to end. And as Prime Minister Modi's uh, statement, which has been echoed around the world, that this is not the time for war, uh, reflects that India has, you know, Prime Minister Modi went public with this, with this comment. <coughs> so I think... Uh, uh, India's position from a from a from a place where India was reluctant to publicly condemn Russia and continues to take a position that it will not publicly condemn Russia to a place where India has insisted on certain norms to prevail uh, in in this time of of global contestation is a very interesting arc that you look look uh, that you can look at. You know, India is now and has been saying now for some time that ultimately it's a question of territorial sovereignty. It's a question of international law. It's a question of UN, uh, and those principles need to be adhered to, even as it has pushed both Ukraine and Russia towards uh, a process of greater dialogue and reconciliation. Because ultimately, 
all wars end through political dialogue uh, and then political uh, some kind of a political assessment that dialogue is necessary so i think broadly that that evolution we have seen in indian foreign policy this year uh, and some very effective and clever balancing by india uh, but again as as uh, war clouds continue to gather uh, as uh, this this uh, you know this uh, war continues and we don't know what the what the winter would up, would uh, would bring to us and to the world i think that uh, the pressure on india will continue to be um, as significant as perhaps it was last year but i think india's ability to manage that pressure came into sharp relief this year absolutely um, europe especially faces a very harsh winter now and rest of the world too there's been food crisis there's been energy crisis uh, europe for europe especially and for ukraine and the area around it's going to be a harsh winter with the with that energy crisis but how has this russia ukraine war changed the geopolitics of the world uh, harsh and we all know that this war basically when you talk about dialogue there has to be a dialogue between Russia and the US probably or the NATO, uh, Ukraine uh, is not really in a position to bring an end to the war and uh, we haven't seen much progress as far as dialogue is concerned. Uh, right now, this war has changed the geopolitics. It has also shifted the focus, the US's focus from the Indo-Pacific to, to Europe probably. So how is this war reshaping the world or uh, rather changing the equations? I think it, it, this this war has uh, has solidified some of the trends that we were witnessing earlier. Now those trends, uh, you know, they were under the surface. They're they're now out in the open. And one of the most um, serious concern for India and then most important consequence of this war for India and for others would be that uh, the, the Russia-China axis has been now almost cemented uh, in some ways. And that will have grave consequences for India, for the world, for Europe. Uh, and, and I think that will have to be taken into account uh, by New Delhi and by, uh, by, other, uh, you know, by other interlocutors around the world. But one thing uh, you know, that, that this war has done is that it has also uh, brought uh, Europe to the forefront of global geopolitics, something that Europe, European Union had been reluctant to do so uh, for so long, uh, despite America and, and some other some countries within Europe pushing for it. Uh, now, I think has become a reality. Germany itself is now increasing its defense budget significantly. Germany is now willing to uh, send its uh, warships, send its uh, fighter jets into Indo-Pacific. Germany, uh, you know, one of the countries uh, which, which is the economic powerhouse in Europe is now changing its strategic profile in some very significant ways. And I think, uh, you know, we have seen as a consequence of this war, a new awakening in Europe about the challenges they face. So for, for as far as Europe is concerned, and this is truly the end of history. And this year has, has really made them aware of the challenges that they face. And therefore, uh, this, this new sense of uh, what needs to be done about it, that there is now war happening uh, on Europe's doorsteps, something that I think most Europeans believed has disappeared after Second World War. But that has clearly not happened. And I think Europe will have to reconsider uh, and is, is already reconsidering the terms of their engagement with the wider world. And I think in, in that sense, this is good news for India because India has always asked that Europe play a larger geopolitical role. Uh, and as Europe moves into the Indo-Pacific, as European countries move into the Indo-Pacific, I think this provides for this, this confluence of like-minded countries working together towards upholding certain principles in the Indo-Pacific. But I think that the, the, the concern that many in Asia and, in, and many in the Indo-Pacific and, and many in New Delhi would feel is whether uh, if this war continues, uh, whether uh, Europe 
uh, would move away uh, from the Indo-Pacific more towards Eurasia and focus more on the on, on the on the Europe threat uh, rather uh, on, on the Russia threat and then on the problem that are emanating in the Indo-Pacific. I think that's a genuine concern that is there in uh, in the Indo-Pacific. So far, uh, Europe and the in the wider West and in the U.S. Uh, are indicating that they are not willing to cede leadership or are not willing to cede their roles uh, in the Indo-Pacific. They are enhancing uh, their profile in the Indo-Pacific. They are working with like-minded partners in the Indo-Pacific, including India. So I think there is a, there is a there, there is a sense that uh, in Europe that you can't really compartmentalize the conflicts uh, in Eurasia and in the Indo-Pacific. But we'll have to see how that gets operationalized on the ground uh, in the Indo-Pacific in particular. But but I think most significantly for India, uh, we have seen this reawakening of Europe as, as, as a geopolitical actor, and we have seen the solidification of Russia-China uh, relationship. And that will have great consequences, not only for India, but I think for our partners in the West as well. And how has China evolved amidst all this? I mean, uh, yeah, yes, of course, you're talking about the solidifying of the Russia-China axis. And here, uh, there is a there's still a challenge of the leadership role in the Indo-Pacific. The West, the wider West is not ready to cede that leadership. But China at the same time grows in its aggression and China, Russia coming together uh, increases that threat too. China is also facing a lot of economic uh, turmoil back home. It's also a domestic problem. For the first time we saw there is, an, uh, there is kind of a, a revolt against Xi Jinping and his authority, however short-lived it was, but of course it's simmering there. Uh, so those challenges and at the same time, China's larger ambition, uh, how is that shaping up? And the US-China, uh, you know, the turmoil there, the conflict there, the trade war. I think indeed, uh, you know, again, this year has accelerated those trends that we were already witnessing. But in particular, this year, uh, I think, was uh, was interesting insofar as it brought out those uh, uh, those concerns about Xi Jinping that prevail within China to the forefront, uh, howsoever short-lived, howsoever marginal, howsoever isolated, but the fact that even in the age of Xi Jinping, you have people who are willing to openly come out and either uh, put a poster or demand Xi Jinping's, uh, you know, um, resignation. That's quite substantive in some ways. That that it shows that. Uh, uh, that you know, Xi Jinping, despite all his attempts to centralize power, uh, has actually not been very effective as, as an administrator. And the fact that he had to change course on COVID strategy uh, weeks after he proclaimed very grandly at the 20th Party Congress uh, that how successful that zero COVID strategy has been. Uh, and now uh, this, this sudden U-turn. Uh, on, on that strategy and the consequences of that with the uh, Chinese uh, health system uh, falling apart. I think there are signs that all is not well within China and that the leadership of Xi Jinping uh, remains a contested one. And that, uh, you know, the, the protests that we saw this year are symptomatic of a wider dissatisfaction within China. So whether there is economic turmoil, whether there is health crisis, whether there is, uh, you know, a socioeconomic inequality, whether there is a dissatisfaction with the Chinese Communist Party leadership, uh, and whether uh, I think there are pushback uh, on the diplomatic front at a number of levels that China is facing across the Indo-Pacific and beyond. All this underscores a very, very limited uh, success of Xi Jinping uh, as a leader. Uh, I think uh, this, this idea that, uh, you know, that you move away from uh, Deng Xiaoping's, um, um, uh, you know, um, biding your time and hiding your capabilities yeah. uh, idea, that has not worked out very well for, 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 China, for China. And I think this is really uh, a question mark over 
uh, Xi Jinping's ability to assess the ground reality and to make decisions. So ultimately, this is a long-term problem uh, for China and for the world, uh, because what he's thinking, how centralized that, that system is, and what are the consequences of the system going to be? And this is, I think, in, in, in one particular way that this reflects on the India question where we have, we have continued to see aggression, where we have continued to see a reluctance to acknowledge that there is a problem, and where we have continued to see a reluctance to acknowledge uh, that China really needs to mend its ways if it wants to uh, change the this negative downward spiral uh, in uh, in uh, India-China relationship. So I think all in all, um, it, it, it showcases uh, a China. This year has showcased a China that is not sure uh, about its own domestic policies. Uh, I would say Xi Jinping not sure about what he wants to do with all the centralization of power that is done. And also a, a sense that his foreign policy is not yielding dividends. Instead, it is making a lot of enemies at the same time, opening a number of fronts. Uh, so how does he manage that? And I think India will have to be carefully watching this. Uh, and of course, what happened uh, just this month uh, at the Tawang border mm -hmm. also underscores and that uh, you know that a 19th century problem uh, or a 20th century problem uh, continues to impede sino-indian relations in 21st century and also impede in some ways india's aspirations to play a larger global role in the 21st century and of course it creates uh, enemies uh, the china's foreign policy like you said is yielding more enemies than any result uh, that China would be hoping for, or Xi Jinping would be hoping for. Uh, you know, coming to the end of this episode, but a last question of um, there the are many changes also that are taking place in US. We've also witnessed a midterm election where uh, you know some significant changes took place. Uh, how is uh, the US domestic policy and its foreign policy shaping up? And if you look back at the year that was going forward, now the the reward that continues. Uh, what can we expect, um, you know, and the effect that it's actually that is now felt around the world uh, of the Russia-Ukraine war and the U.S.'s role there? I think one thing that we found out this year that uh, that perhaps Mr. Trump, uh, uh, Mr. Trump's role in American politics might be coming to an end. Uh, this the, the 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 losses that his allies faced in the midterm elections. Uh, and the the better than expected results that the Democrats got uh, in these elections uh, showcase a certain fatigue with Mr. Trump, uh, even within his supporters. Uh, and I think the rise of a, of an alternative uh, power center within the Demo within the Republican Party that is willing now to more openly challenge Mr. Trump after the uh, after the string of defeats that his allies have faced. So I think there is it seems to be a new beginning as far as the Republican Party is concerned in the U.S. And we will see over the course of the next uh, one and a half years how that pans out. But I think this has been uh, a consolidation for the for the Democrats, and I think they would have been um, they have heaved a sigh of relief uh, with with the midterm results. And in some ways, Mr. Biden himself whose leadership uh, has been questioned uh, repeatedly. Uh, his, his polling numbers have been uh, abysmal uh, throughout the year, but now they have picked up. And I think much would depend on how he handles the economic um, recession that seems to be coming, uh, that seems to be part of the uh, global economic discourse. But I think on the larger question of leadership also, he, uh, global leadership also, he faces a question, uh, which is what, what to do with the, with the Ukraine war. And I think there, um, again, uh, there are many in the US uh, and many in Europe that are asking um, for some kind of a political dialogue to start, uh, and they are asking that uh, you know the, the the war aims of Ukraine that have been now defined as maximalist in their orientation 
need to be redefined. Uh, but I think uh, it will be a conversation first between Ukraine and Washington and Ukraine and NATO, and then between NATO and, and Russia. And that's how it, it, it's likely to evolve over the course of next year. At the moment, I think everyone is waiting for the winters to end. U Ukrainians feel that on the battlefield, they have momentum. So they have very little incentive to negotiate at this point. Uh, and, and, the, and the Russians feel that winters are going to be harsh uh, if they can continue to bombard the civilians and the energy infrastructure of Ukraine and hopefully push the morale down to a level where the Ukrainians themselves will demand some kind of a ceasefire or some kind of negotiations. So I think at this stage, it's very unlikely that we will see any uh, significant developments during the winters uh, but certainly everyone is waiting for the winters once once winters end then there might be an opening for some kind of a dialogue depending on what the battlefield realities are but i think this has been an extraordinary year in that sense in which whatever you say about ukrainian strategy what it has shown is that a small country uh, has uh, has challenged the behemoth the, like like russia frontally with with support of the west of course but i think the morale has been very high in ukraine and the desire to to uh, contest russian aggression has been quite remarkable so i think this year certainly uh, if at all it goes to anyone, it goes to the Ukrainians being the underdogs in this in this war and this conflict, and is standing up to Russians throughout the course of this conflict. It's quite a significant achievement in and of itself. Whatever the ultimate, uh, I think, consequences or the, or the ultimate result of this war is, but by and large, uh, quite remarkable year. When we began this year, we were not talking about the possibility of a war. We were saying that it, it it's simply a, uh, uh, you know, what what Mr. Putin is doing is simply to have a better diplomatic. Uh, negotiations with the Europe, but ultimately it ended up in a war and a war that continues and, and is likely to continue over into 2023. Absolutely. Hoping that it ends soon. And when, like you said, when the year began, we were all grappling with and the world was grappling with the challenges of COVID and actually looking at a health crisis. But then there was an additional crisis with the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, and as we come to the end of it, there's still no solution to that war that's causing effect People are countries that are already reeling under the effects of this for hoping that the new year brings in some good news and that settles down. Thank you so much, Harsh, for the anal analysis of the year that has gone by. And that's it from us on this episode of the Ideas Factory. Now we shall see you in the new year. Thank you for watching. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.